Hey guys, just a reminder, my online course is Birth Story Academy and you can enroll in it at birthstory.com. It's taught by me. You can be in your jammies. It's online. It's pre-recorded and it has a ton of freebies and downloads. It's everything that you need to prepare for your hospital birth. So hope to see you in Birth Story Academy. I've got another author on, Sarah Beauchamp, and she authored Birth Happens. It's a collection of 128 positive birth stories from all around the world. They were recorded in 2021, pandemic style, and it's just a really, really cool book. You can get it on Amazon or at birthsmiles.com. And the name of the book, again, is Birth Happens. So today, Sarah is on talking about her three different birth stories. She had two in a hospital and then became a birth worker and had this like really magical home birth experience for her third. And she talks about that evolution from being like a young 24-year-old and never taking a childbirth course and just kind of showing up at the hospital and having a baby and what that felt like. And then being a little bit more educated and empowered in her second birth opportunity, and then really taking back full control. She moves to Vermont. She gets a midwife. She becomes a birth worker. She hires a birth photographer, and she's really just ready to fully surrender to the mystery, the magic that is birth as an older, more experienced, third-time giver of life. So these three stories are pure magic. And so is her book, Birth Happens. All right, let's get to it. What does a contraction feel like? How do I know if I'm in labor? And what does a day of labor look like? Wait, is this normal? Hey, I'm Heidi. My best friends call me Hydes. I'm a certified birth doula, host of this podcast, and author of Birth Story, an interactive pregnancy guidebook. I have supported hundreds of women through their labor and deliveries, and I believe every one of them and you deserves a microphone and a stage. So here we are. Listen each week to get answers to these tough questions. Birth Story, where we talk about pregnancy, labor, deliveries, where we tell our stories and share our feelings. And of course, chat about our favorite baby products and motherhood. And because I'm passionate about birth outcomes, you will hear from some of the top experts in labor and delivery. Whether you are pregnant, trying desperately to get pregnant, or you just love a good birth story, I hope you will stick around and be part of this birth story family. Hey, Sarah, welcome to the Birth Story Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm great, Heidi. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for reaching out to be on the podcast. You guys, I got this Instagram message from Sarah and she's like, hey, I'm a birth worker and I've written this book and I really think you should check it out. And I was like, okay, sure, I'm in. So if you guys want to follow along with Sarah's birth stories today, 
her work as a birth photographer, her beautiful book called Birth Happens that she's the author of, then right now you can go to birthsmiles.com or on Instagram you can follow at birthsmiles. So that's where you can find Sarah. And so Sarah, thanks for being here. Tell us a little bit more about who you are and what brought you to birth work. Yeah, so I'm a mom of three kids, and I think like a lot of birth workers, their own birth experiences is what inspired them to get into this work. I had my first child when I was just 24, so I was on the younger side, and I fell in love. I loved pregnancy. I loved giving birth to him. I loved breastfeeding. I loved all of it. And I very quickly wanted another child. And so we had another and then one more. So my life is full with my three kids. And they really inspired me to start this birth work journey. And they inspired me to write my book. And yeah, they're really my inspiration for it all. Okay, so in birth work, for someone who falls in love, right? If you guys are listening and you like really have fallen in love with your pregnancies and your breastfeeding journey like Sarah, there's like so many things you could do. You could be a birth doula. You could be a postpartum doula. You could be a lactation consultant or an IBCLC, a birth photographer. I mean, you could do belly binding, placenta encapsulation. I mean, there's like so much birth workers do, right? Yeah. So Sarah, did you have a doula? Did you have a midwife? Like what specific part made you go huh, I think I'm going to be a birth photographer and a birth doula. Yeah. Um. So it's interesting. I had my first son in a hospital. I didn't have a doula and I wish I had. I was unprepared. I wasn't as educated as I wanted to be. And so then when I got pregnant the second time, I took a birth class. I took my husband to a birth class and I had my second child at a hospital, the same hospital. It was a much better experience. I originally said, oh, I'll be a labor and delivery nurse. Like that's my way into birth. After I had my second child, I said, nope, I think I'm going to stay out of the hospital. And so then I started to think about doula work or birth photography, because there are so many moments that I wanted to have captured. And I had photos of me with my second child on my chest looking awful. And I said, I want photos that are better than this. I'd like to have memories that are better than this. We moved between the birth of my second and third baby, and I decided before we even conceived our third child that I would have a home birth. It's not something I really realized was an option, I guess, for my first children. Um, Just where we lived, it wasn't super common. We moved to Vermont. It's much more common here, and I was so excited to have a home birth. I had my beautiful third baby at home, and it was after that that I said, okay, I need to be a doula. I need to do birth photography. I couldn't find a birth photographer for my birth. I had my sister come up from New York City to be here and take photos. Um, And I just knew that I wanted to give this service to people in the area. Oh, I love it. I think most people, and you guys listening to this podcast, if you've already given birth, we can go back in time and think, gosh, these are the things I would have done different, right? There's that mm-hmm. saying, 2020 hindsight for a reason, you know? Everything gets much clearer when you're on the other side of it. Even myself, I was a birth doula for 10 years before I became pregnant. And I still look back on my first birth and I would have done so many things different. And then Sarah, we're going to laugh for a minute. I hired a birth photographer. She was at the hospital. But I was in the middle of having an unmedicated birth. I was like totally in labor land. And as the story goes, 
they asked me if I was ready for her to come in the room. And the way the story is told to me is that I like screamed something like, no, I don't want anybody in this room. <laughs> so I have no, no photos of my birth oh, no. <laughs> where I hired a birth photographer. So you guys listening, there is no such thing as informed consent in labor. So make sure that that your birth team knows that and whatever decisions that you've made stick. Like if you've hired a birth photographer, let the birth photographer in there. The people around you need to make sure that birth photographer is in the room, even if you're saying no. <laughs> yeah. Got to make the plan before you're in labor. <laughs> I know. You really have to. So it is it is easier on the other side for us to look back and and make changes. So, you know, all 24-year-olds you know, are probably not doing all the things, right? Like, first of all, doulas are expensive, right? So not mm -hmm. everyone can afford an, a doula. Not everyone can afford a private childbirth course, right? Like, they may have to just do something that's offered free at the hospital or read a book or do, you know, nothing at all. And so yeah. I think you did the best that you could with the, what you had it. 24 years old. And then each birth, you just got stronger and more educated and more empowered. So I want to hear more about these birth stories. And then yeah. like how this led to writing this amazing book, Birth Happens, a collection of hundreds of birth stories, right? Like 128 yeah. or something. 128. Yeah. 128 birth stories from all over the world. Sarah doesn't leave anything out. You guys, there's twins, there's hospital, there's home birth, there's unassisted free birth. There's everything, all sorts of birth stories in this book, Birth Happens. Again, you can find it at birthsmiles.com and on Instagram at birthsmiles. But before we get to that book, and everybody here that could read that book and get inspired and just super stoked for their upcoming birth. Like, I just have to know more about your own birth story. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So let's start with your first, your six-year-old. So you said you're 24. Yeah. You didn't do all the things. Didn't do the things. No. But how um, did it go? Honestly, I would say it was an okay experience. It wasn't awful. I didn't leave traumatized. Um, I went into labor late at night. So I had a 36 hour labor that started at about midnight on a Thursday. So I didn't sleep all night Thursday because my contractions seemed to start pretty quickly every five minutes. And I was a first time parent and I was excited and anxious and I should have tried to sleep more and I did it. And that's where I wish a doula would have said to me, Sarah, this is early labor. You need to lay down and go to bed. But I I didn't do that. And so I labored all through the night at home. I went to the hospital the next morning and they said, oh, you're not ready to be here. And so they sent me back home. And that was kind of disappointing to think, okay, I'm exhausted. I haven't slept. Um, and I just kind of tried to rest the best I could at home, but didn't work very well. I ended up going back to the hospital that night and they admitted me, um, my plan was to try to go unmedicated, but I was exhausted. And so by Saturday morning, I asked for an epidural. I got some relief. I took about, I don't know, a three or four hour really great nap. Mm -hmm. um, they gave me some Pitocin to help contractions continue to speed things along. And my son was born at like one in the afternoon on Saturday. A vaginal birth, really minimal tearing. Overall, it was a great experience. It just 
it wasn't the way that I wanted it to go, but I'm happy that it worked. I'm happy that I was able to have a vaginal birth. I'm happy that really my interventions were pretty minimal and I felt in control the whole time of getting to choose what I wanted. So it was good. And I had a baby and I was able to breastfeed and that was wonderful. I had really great lactation, like IBCLCs in the hospital that helped with that. Um, So that was great. Yeah. Okay. You guys. Sarah and I are shouting at you from the rooftops, loud and clear. I know you don't want to believe us that labor for a first-time birthing person is 24 hours on average. So that means, you know, some of you are going to have an 18-hour labor. And some of you guys are going to have a 36 or 40-hour labor. And for some reason, this number five has like five minutes apart has like gotten into mainstream eliminate it, make it go away. Even when I wrote my book, it's 311. And that to me is still a little conservative. Okay. You are not in active labor until your contractions are on top of each other. Meaning one ends, you have 30 seconds to breathe and the next one begins. That means they're two to three minutes apart because we measure them start to start. And they're 60 to 90 seconds long. I have been a doula for 20 years. I have gone to almost 1,500 births at this point. No one has ever given birth, not in that pattern, okay? At some point, you go into active labor and the contractions are 60 to 90 seconds long, two to three minutes. So when they're like 40 seconds long and five minutes apart, like Sarah's were, of course you're like, yay, I'm in labor, And any birth worker is like, oh, God, we're not having a baby for like 24 plus hours. Like, slow your roll and go to bed. And even when they're on top of each other, we still have a long way to go often, right? Even when they get into an active labor pattern, two to three minutes apart, 16, it's still like in your case, Sarah, it sounds like you were finally in active labor that next night, but then didn't give birth until the next day at 1 p.m. So you still had another 12 or so hours of like that hard active labor. Um, So yes, what Sarah said, you guys, was she wished she could go back in time and have gone to sleep and rest. How do you do that? Melatonin, (laughs) a sleeping pill, do whatever. Yes. Just, (laughs) Just go to bed, peeps. Go to bed. Yeah. Um, I, I'm so proud that you, like, were able to advocate for yourself to get an epidural for rest. Sometimes that it does was, yeah. help you have a vaginal birth, right? Mm-hmm. So It was what I needed. Yeah, absolutely. It was what I needed. It helped me reach my goal. I don't regret it. Um, yeah. It just wasn't what I wanted originally. Yeah. So did you know you were going to breastfeed all along? Yes. Yep. I, yeah, definitely wanted to breastfeed. I had done some reading kind of in self-education beforehand and was really lucky with how well it worked. My son was able to latch while I had some kind of positional problems at the beginning of just getting a good latch that wasn't kind of pinching um, and painful. But once we got through the first few weeks, it really settled into a good routine and I was able to breastfeed him for 13 months. Okay. Wow. Incredible. Tell me about the support that you had in the postpartum period. Did you go back to work? Did you stay at home? Did you have people around you to support you? 
Yeah, I was very lucky. We lived at the time close to my parents and my in-laws. Um, so we had a lot of support close by. Even in the early days, we had them come over just so I could rest. Because after 36 hours of labor, I remember I was, I think the most tired I've ever been in my life was after the birth of my first child. I was exhausted. And so we had really great support. I was able to stay home. My husband worked. He had to go back to work after just one week home. So that was really hard. I remember sobbing watching him drive down the driveway and leaving us the first time after just a week with this new baby but we really kind of figured it out and I had the support of my parents and my in-laws close by so it was really nice yeah so what about that experience do you bring to your uh clients now and and like as a doula and as a photographer just as a birth worker so what are the things that you learned from the first baby, right? That changes us the most that you kind of send forward as advice for your clients. Yeah. Well, a big one is rest in early labor. It's something I talk about to all of my clients of we need to rest. You need to save your strength. If you feel things, go to bed, try to relax. Early labor is a time to relax. And then another part is postpartum, I really emphasize two weeks of rest. Postpartum, I tell my clients, I don't want you to wash dishes. I don't want you to fold laundry. I don't want you to cook food. I want you to prepare for support for the first two weeks so that you can spend two weeks topless cuddling your baby and bonding and healing. Because I think that's really important. If you can take that time for the first two weeks to really recover and heal and bond, it's good for breastfeeding. It's good for hormone regulation. I wasn't able to do that because my husband went back to work after a week. A lot of people aren't able to do that because of work commitments. And so I come as a doula when I'm a doula with clients, I come to their home postpartum to see what can I do? Can I wash your dishes? Can I bring you some food? I always like to bring like a loaf of fresh sourdough bread or something and um, bring them a meal, see how I can help at home. And we talk about how can you get that support lined up now when they're pregnant? We talk about it so that when postpartum time comes, they are stocked with food, they're stocked with support. How can we get them that support so that they can really rest for two weeks? Because that's something that I really emphasize with clients. Yeah, I think that's incredible advice. So you get pregnant again. Yeah. Any fertility journey, any losses? Like, was it just decided to get pregnant? Yeah, yeah, it was very easy for us. I'm really lucky and blessed that we didn't have fertility struggles along the way. Yeah. So you get pregnant with your second and this time you said you were like, okay, I'm going to do some things different. All right. Yeah. So tell me about specifically people listening right now are like, okay, I, I was Sarah. I was that 24 year old. I'm pregnant again. I'm listening to this podcast because I want it to be different. (laughs) What specifically are things that you did different in your evolution okay because we know three ends in a home birth okay that's where like la you've arrived right with um peace and serenity around birth I would say but on the second one still birthing in a hospital what were some of your plans that were different so the huge one was a childbirth education class for myself but also a lot for my husband he was a great support during my first birth but we both were unprepared and uneducated and there were times when I felt like if he was more supportive in certain ways or just kind of understood the birth process more 
he could have been better support for me. And I think that was important. So that was a huge part is a childbirth education class, whatever you can do, if you can pay for a class or find some, they're great online resources, having yourself and your partner really educated about labor and birth and kind of the stages of it, I think was huge. And then the other thing was I read a lot of birth stories and I listened to birth story podcasts and I just familiarized myself with how different it can be for everybody. You see a lot in shows and movies that people are in bed screaming in pain and it's this kind of chaotic hospital birth scene. Um, And so I think for me, really educating myself about how different it could be for everybody and each time was really, really valuable. So I went in with like a clean slate. My first birth wasn't going to affect this birth. It was going to be different because everyone is different and just being able to kind of accept that was huge. And I think a really valuable thing for me to have this better birth the next time. Yeah. Do you feel like your husband was like grateful for the class also and was like more engaged? Like I can't imagine going into birth without taking a birth class or a partner. (laughs) Yeah. He was amazed at the things he learned. It was amazing to see him curious about birth and just learning more about dilation and effacement and even the placenta and all of those things that I knew about the first time going in, but he really did it. And having him educated about that, I think he hip squeezed for every single contraction, my second labor for my second baby. And just that alone was something that the first time he wasn't, he wasn't sure what to do. You know, he would try to support me the best he could, but having that class with him really allowed him to step into the support role that I wanted. And I think I really needed. Yeah. I think it is so, so critical. I, I have birth story Academy, you know, like, so of course I sell my childbirth course to everyone around the world, right? Like anyone can jump into birth story Academy. It's 200 bucks. It's self-paced. It's 20 modules. It's like, do it. Right. Yeah. But all my doula clients get the course for free. It's included in their, their doula services package. But I also, I really encourage my clients to also take an in-person class if they can, because there really is value in what you just said. Learning how to do a double, your partner to learn how to do a double hip squeeze, especially if you don't have a doula or practicing labor positions in in real time and like real world kind of things, you know, and not everybody's going to be able to afford online courses and in-person courses, but like just you guys take a class, like, Take an online cl- course, take a in-person course, take both. But like, you know, if the partners can really figure out, number one, female anatomy. You'd be surprised. Even females don't understand female anatomy if yeah. your partner's female. <laughs> so female anatomy, the stages of labor, like you said. I've literally like been teaching and I've had parents before, like, well, I'm going to tell a story, specifically a male parent that was like, didn't understand this, where the cervix, like the, like the whole concept of the cervix. <laughs> I'm like, yes, when you're having penetrative P and V, that is what you're, that's what you're hitting. I mean, yeah. his mind was blown. I was like, <laughs> we could do a little bit better of a job in fifth grade describing sexuality education and Absolutely. anatomy to, to people so that when they're 35, <laughs> they understand what a cervix is. <laughs> so you guys, yeah. 
Make sure your partner yeah. knows what it, where a cervix <laughs> is and what it is, you know, and how it yeah, opens. Absolutely. Yeah. All the things. So, yeah, I think childbirth education is so important and like it's a game changer. It is a game changer for you, but also your partner and how much yeah. more range. Now, did you have a plan where you like, I really liked my epidural and I would like that again? Were you like, maybe I could do this unmedicated? Did you have a desire to have a medicated or an unmedicated? Like, was anything on your heart or were you just like, meh, just going to have a birth and see what happens? Yeah, I really wanted to try an unmedicated birth again. That was my goal the first time it didn't happen. After taking our class, I felt... I was like, I'm going to try this again. If it, I needed an epidural, I would have gotten that. But I also, my other big plan was to stay home as long as possible. I think I still ended up at the hospital too soon. The last, like with my first baby and, you know, was there all night and the epidural gave relief. But I think if I had been able to rest at home, it could have gone differently. And so my plan was rest and stay home as long as possible and hopefully have an unmedicated, like unmedicated birth. Um, okay. Yeah. So in this pregnancy, was everything clear? GBS status negative, blood pressure good, no gestational diabetes. Like, was there any reason to induce you medically? No reason to induce. I was very lucky with that. Also, my pregnancy okay. was easy. Um, aside from some like hip pains, pelvic kind of girdle pains, it was a really easy pregnancy. No GBS. Yeah, no reason for induction. Okay, awesome. So you were like, let's wait for the spontaneous labor to begin. Now, what gestation were you with your first? I was 40 and four. Okay, so you guys listen, 41 and one is the average. So going over that air quote guest date, like Sarah did, 40 and four. Now, sometimes we have like a window, right? Where we like to, like I went to 43 weeks with number one. Like I knew I was going 43 weeks with my second. Like there was no, you know what I mean? I ended up having an elective induction. For those that listen to this podcast, they've heard the story. I elected an induction right around 40 and a half weeks for lots of reasons. Because I was going to go to 43 weeks again. And I just frankly didn't want, <laughs> didn't to, want to, people. So anyway, so when did you start having labor symptoms with your second? What gestation? I was 39 and four. 39 and four. So a week earlier. Mm -hmm. Was it prodromal labor or was it, oh, I'm having symptoms and I'm moving into active labor? It started very quickly into active labor. We put our son down for his nap. My husband and I got intimate with each other. I went to take a shower and I was like, I'm in labor. Um, in the shower contractions, like really started. My son was napping. And I was like, okay, this is definitely labor. But I was thinking like, okay, the first time this lasted, it seemed like active labor. It lasted for days. So like, let's not get too excited yet. Um, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, you guys, key things that I'm going to say that Sarah didn't say when she says intimate. If you are in a heteronormative relationship and semen is available to your cervix, that works as a great prostaglandin to soften and ripen the cervix. Also, any sort of like clitoral stimulation orgasm helps the uterus to contract and it helps the cervix to pull forward from a posterior position to a more mid-center position and it can efface or thin and open the cervix too. So... Having sex, 
having semen at the cervix, if that's possible in your relationship, having an orgasm with or without a partner. These are all things that can help put you into labor. So well done, Sarah. Yeah, it worked. <laughs> yes. Okay. So it's nap time. This is always what happens too. We go into labor when we put our older ones to nap or to bed at night because we're mammals yeah. <laughs> and our body's like, okay, yeah. that one's safe and okay. So now I can have the next one, you know? Um, yeah. So yeah. how'd the day play out? So um, nap time was around one o'clock. He woke up from his nap and I was like, okay, things are going. And I said to my husband, I said, let's go for a little walk. We lived really close to this cute little park. I said, we'll put him in the stroller. Let's go for a walk. I just want to see if things are going to keep progressing or if, you know, maybe if I get up and moving, it's really not going to be so intense anymore. So we put him in the stroller. We went for our walk. And I remember leaning over the stroller during contractions, having to kind of like, bend down and get horizontal and lean over my husband and I was like this seems like maybe it's actually really labor we called my parents who were going to be our child care for my oldest while we went to the hospital and just said hey I'm in labor we don't need you yet but just like we'll let you like we'll let you know maybe in a few hours when we want you to come and get our oldest so we can go and we finished our walk and got back home and it was my husband who said, I think maybe your parents should come and get him now because this seems like it's going a lot faster than the first time. And it was intense. I remember it being intense. I remember I wanted my husband to hips, like I wanted the double hip squeeze already. Like it felt relieving already. And I just was going with it. I just was kind of surrendering. I remember using a lot of like visualization during that labor of like my cervixes opening and just kind of like visualizing that in my body was really helpful for me to like handle the sensations so my parents came we kind of talked and hung out for a little bit and it was my mom who said your contractions are really close together are you sure you shouldn't go to the hospital but I didn't want to go too soon and get sent home because that's what happened the first time so I was like I don't know like let me just see what happens and I we ended up yeah like let's go in we'll get checked out it seems intense I got there. I don't remember. I'm sure they checked my cervix when we got there, but my second, my daughter was born like 45 minutes after we got to the hospital. So it was very different from the first time. Um, we got from like triage into our room. I remember they were like, we need to put in an IV. I didn't really want that, but for some reason I was like, just fine, put in the IV. The nurse left the room and I said to my part and my husband, I was like, I, I think I need to poop. I'm going to go try to poop. And I like sat down on the toilet and I was like, I don't think it's poop. Like, I don't think it's poop. And I remember him like running into the hallway and saying like, she has to push, she has to push. And they all come in and I had a baby. And it was, did um, you have a baby on the toilet? I did not. No, I made it back to the bed. Okay. <laughs> back to the bed. They got me on the bed. The OB, you know, they're like, let's just check and see where you are. And he's like, oh yeah, you can push. And I was like, yeah. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and they broke my water right before pushing. I think probably just to avoid a mess of pushing and having it explode all over. It was easier for them to, you know, oh, pop that. We'll catch that in a bucket. And now you can push your baby out. Yeah. Cause your baby so, would have been born in call. It sounds like, like, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. she could have been. And that's one of the things I just wasn't super educated even enough to say like, no, don't do that at the time. I just was ready to meet my baby. So from the time labor started till she was born, it was like four and a half hours. It was very fast, intense the whole time, um, but really empowering to go through that unmedicated, to feel so in control of the whole situation. I felt really great after that birth. Um, 
yeah, it was really exciting. Yeah. So this is a little statistic snack for you guys. I have logged my stats for all 20 years that I've been a doula and the av- my average gestation or my average gestation was me. My average gestation is actually 41 and one. <laughs> so my average length of labor is 22 and a half hours for my first time clients. So they say 24 hours and I'm like, whatever, 22. If you have a doula little, it's still a long <laughs> time. You guys, my second time clients. So second birth, not second time clients, sorry, second birth the average length of labor is seven and a half hours. Wild, right? I'm always like, wow. listen, you got to call me sooner than later if you want access yeah. to your doula. Third, 14 and a half hours. Isn't that crazy? It's always like yeah. very long, very short. Who knows? <laughs> so sometimes yeah. the third ones fall out. And then sometimes the third ones are just a little slower, a little bit longer, just, just different, you know? And then I do have my stats for four, five, six, but I don't remember what they are. I'll be honest off the top of my head. (laughs) So, so so fast during the day, you know, (laughs) during the day, four and a half hours, like unmedicated. That's really cool. Did you do anything with your placenta? I did not. And I wish I had, um, that was something there was things with that second birth that I think really pushed me further into doula photography, kind of that work instead of working in a hospital in labor and delivery. One was them not kind of listening to me saying I didn't want an IV and saying like, Oh, it's required. You have to get this. And now I know like, Oh, like I would have been able to say like, I don't consent to that. I don't want you to stab a needle in my arm. Like I didn't need it. Yeah. Um, And because you didn't have, you had had a previous birth with no postpartum hemorrhage. Right. So like your risk was you weren't being induced, you weren't overdue, you didn't have a big baby. You guys, I'm listing things from the American College of Gynecology that kind of lead to what would put you at risk for a hemorrhage. Sarah didn't have any of those risks. So, you know, pros, cons, and of course you can hemorrhage at any time, but you're, you, you didn't need an IV port. Yeah, I didn't. And I, yeah, I know they could have given me, you know, a shot of Pitocin if they needed to without the IV. The other thing was breaking my water before my daughter was born. I felt like that was just something they like to check off their list. And I wish I had said like, no, don't do that. Um, And then I wish I had gotten to see my placenta. It's something that I think everybody should be offered to see your placenta. You can say like, no, I don't want to see it. And that's fine. But I think it should be offered to everybody. Like you grew this organ. It's part of your story. And I would have loved to see it. And before I even kind of knew what was happening, it was gone off to wherever they send them. And I wish I'd gotten to see it. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to simmer there for a minute because I do do placenta encapsulation for my clients. And number one, it is cheaper to hire me to do placenta encapsulation than to pay for your placenta to number one, go to pathology and number two, then for the hospital to dispose of it. It's just under a thousand dollars. Okay. Wow. Or you can get it encapsulated for 300 bucks or whatever. Okay. So always consider taking your placenta home. Even if you're going to throw it away yourself, you're going to save money on your bill. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some of my clients, I'll just be honest, Sarah, and you know, this as a birth worker are totally grossed out. Like they don't want to see. Yeah. Maybe they have preeclampsia and they are mad at their their placenta okay they have a right. love-hate relationship or gestational diabetes they get kind of angry with their placentas too but 
some clients, every client, I should say, is offered on their birth plan template. And this is in Birth Story Academy also. There is a line that says, like, I would like to feel, touch, see, and explore my own placenta. So my clients will get in there with their hands and they'll look at it, okay? Others are like, uh, I don't want to touch it, but you can. And I'll put yeah. on I'll put on gloves and I'll open it up and I'll show them the sack and I'll show them the tree of life side and then I'll show them the meat meaty side that's attached to the mm-hmm. uterus. All of the midwives and the obstetricians in my area are also willing to do that and to see that's it. Great. So you guys listening, what Sarah and I are saying is learn from us. All you have to do is ask. And maybe before this podcast, you've never heard of that. Just like Sarah. Sarah didn't know to even ask, right? But now we do know to ask. Now we do know we have the right in, I think, all 50 states, at least in the U.S., to to, to have your placenta released to you legally. Maybe you plant yeah. it in your garden. Maybe you encapsulate it. Maybe you make artwork with it. Well, I don't know. You can do lots of things. Yeah. But you don't have to pay $1,000 for pathology and disposal now okay if your baby has a genetic anomaly oh please send your placenta to pathology you can learn things from it but outside of that yeah no need so so when you were planning your third were you like I'm gonna do my placenta this time <laughs> or did that ever yes, come in I did? <laughs> yeah okay. I have a print of it on my wall <laughs> oh my gosh I love it okay so what else do you want us to know about your first and your second births and your postpartum period that kind of shaped you to okay I'm gonna be a birth worker I'm gonna do all the things including a home birth um, I think I just like the mystery of birth is something that I love and I wanted to be able to support people through because it's different. Like my two experiences were so drastically different for me and I could have used support in both times. And then the other thing that I mentioned is the postpartum support. My second child, um, I was doing laundry, like she was a few days old and because my birth was so fast and good and I felt so good, I was like, Oh, I'll go up and down the stairs carrying these laundry baskets. And I, I really regret that time. And I wish I had said to my parents or my in-laws who were there, actually, can you please do my laundry? I just want to sit and hold my baby. Um, and I didn't. And I wish, and so I tell all my clients, sit and hold your baby. You can tell everybody to do all the things for you because you're healing and it's your time to be with your baby. And so that my postpartum time, the second after my second was harder. I also had two kids to care for. And so there's that different aspect Um but I felt like I was up, I was doing all of the things and I should have been resting. And I regret that I didn't spend that time with her to just kind of cuddle and bond with her in that way. Yeah. It goes by so fast, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. So fast. You think like, you think you're never going to get out of it. You think you're never going to sleep again. And it just, it it evaporates like time evaporates and you get through it. And yeah, I mean, same, if I could go back, I wouldn't have done anything Besides just right. like be naked with my babies on my chest for as long as humanly possible. And if there was yeah. like one day I could relive again, it would be like, you know, my probably three month old, you know, naked on my chest nursing. Like yeah. at the time it's so hard. And then you look back and think that was the best day of my life. <laughs> yeah. You know? It really, yeah. It's so fast. It goes so fast. Yeah. Before we move on to your third birth, 
when Sarah is talking about how important it is to take it slow and easy for bonding and such, I also just want to remind the audience that your placenta is giant. So I, I encapsulate these. I look at them. I explore them. It's about, when I do the photography, it's about the size of a dinner plate. And that is peeled off of the uterine wall. And there's a lot of capillaries, a lot of bleeding. And it needs to heal. It takes about 21 days for the placenta scab to fully slosh off, heal and then slosh off. So you're bleeding that time. And the more you do, going up and down the stairs, going for a walk, it's like picking at a scab, scratching a scab. And you're just going to have heavier bleeding and more bleeding and prolong your healing. So you want to heal fast? Lay around for two to three weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Let that placenta wound have the time to heal. So when did you start thinking about writing a book? It, the inspiration for my book came after my third birth. I had my home birth and that's kind of after experiencing all of these different births and situations, I wanted, that was kind of my inspiration of people need more stories of different, how different it can be. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's hear the third story. So now you've moved to Vermont. Yeah. We moved between my second and third and kind of settled into our home and debated having one last baby and decided, yes, let's do it. And I knew even before conception, I said, we're going to have, we'll have her at home. I was looking at midwives. I was excited. Yeah. Yeah. Just Google searches. How did you find a midwife in Vermont? Google searches. Yeah. Google searches and reading reviews. There are some like parent pages on Facebook that people had asked before and found some recommendations and found a midwife I really loved and connected with. And it was great. How did you, or how many midwives did you interview? Just one. Just one. I did okay. a lot of just <laughs> one and we chose to work with her. Yeah. I did a lot of research, like going through all of their web pages and that kind of stuff kind of during my two week wait period, I guess you would say of like, we had tried, we're waiting to see if I'm pregnant or not. And I spent that time, I remember riding our exercise bike and just reading different midwifery pages and going through their websites and seeing which which one I thought I would align with the most. That's awesome. It's totally like online dating. And if you put the work in up front, like sometimes it is like love at first sight. Like you sit down, you have this vibe and you're like, you're the one. And other times you guys, same with interviewing doulas and birth photographers and placenta encapsulation specialists. Sometimes you may need to interview three, four, five before you find your perfect fit. So it's awesome that you found somebody really early who had availability to, you know, for your guest date. Okay. Tell me about what it's like having a home birth in Vermont under midwifery care. What were your appointments like? Um, they were great. We spent at least like an hour, I think every appointment, just talking, getting to know each other. My older two kids could come to her office and she had toys and books for them there that they could play with. I remember my daughter was, you know, two, a little under two, even for part of my pregnancy. And she'd be playing with like the urine cups that would sit in the corner in the middle. I was like, it's fine. Like, it's okay. (laughs) Like, you know, they were part of my care and it was really nice to just feel like it was an experience for all of us. I felt really connected to my baby, I think, because of that and because of the time connecting to my midwife. 
I felt a huge trust in her. My husband had a few concerns about home birth when I first mentioned it to him, which I think is common for partners to have some concerns. And so he was able to come and ask his questions of like, if we needed to transfer, if there's an emergency, what kind of supplies do you have with you? And she was great and reassured him that she's you know, well-educated, she's well-trained, she was well-equipped with all of the things we might need. And so he felt really safe with her and I felt really safe with her. And it was really a nice pregnancy to kind of fill, um, I guess, build that relationship of trust and just, yeah, yeah, friendship even, I would say. Yeah, for sure. Friendship. That's how I feel about my world as birth work. It's so hard because like every client I want to be like best friends with and they yeah. like want to be best friends too. And then I'm like, I can't have a hundred new best friends per year. You know what I mean? It's really yeah. hard to say goodbye after the six weeks. Po- I stay on call for six weeks. It is really yeah. hard to say. I mean, we never really say goodbye, but you do. You know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. I have to acknowledge, like, I am your birth doula. I'm not your best friend, even though it feels yeah. like we're besties right now, you know? Same yeah. thing with midwifery care. It's very intimate. Now, did you do what's called parallel care? Did you have any obstetrician or midwife within a hospital system that you also saw for like blood work, anatomy scans, things that home birth midwives don't typically do? Yeah, my midwife was able to do all of our blood work or any of that in her office. So that was great. I did. She referred me for my and I did a 20 week anatomy scan. And so she wrote the referral and I went to a local hospital and had that done there. Um, And then that was really my only interaction with outside care was that scan. That's awesome. I operate at, out of North Carolina and I'm going to mm-hmm. like, it's, I'm not going to say like illegal, but like some people may say that home birth is illegal. <laughs> I would just say that it's, it's an interesting state because we just have a lot of, you know, yeah, maybe it's illegal. We just have a lot of <laughs> hoops we have to go through. So a lot of my home birth clients do parallel care um, okay. because Let's just say like going to LabCorp, Quest Diagnostics or something for blood work is not something that a lot of our home birth midwives can just readily do or write for in this state, yeah. unfortunately. yeah. So really, it sounds like your midwife was able to just do all of your care and have these really long visits with you and get to know your family. And it just makes all the difference. Now, this yeah. pregnancy, was it also uncomplicated as in no reason for going to the hospital or being induced? Like, did you have any any hiccups or any scares or just like smooth sailing? Smooth sailing, no complications. Um, also lucky again. I loved she came for she came to my home at 36 weeks and I was able to do my own GBS swab, which was really cool to like kind of take charge of some of my um, just tests and stuff to feel really in control. But yeah, I had GBS. I was GBS negative, no gestational diabetes or anything like that. Awesome. You guys, Sarah is so right. If you can wipe your own ass, you can do your own GBS swab. I actually wrote about that in my own book. Like all of my doula clients are instructed to ask for the Q-tip and swab their own rectum and vagina and put it in the cup themselves like you do not have to be naked laying on your back with your feet in straps 
And then really sometimes they'll do, um, in the hospital setting, they'll do end up doing a vaginal exam, right? Like there is another way. So Sarah and I want yeah. you to know you can swab yourself. And I'm so proud of you for doing that, Sarah. Yeah. That's really yeah. Exciting. It's something I was never, I never knew was an option until my midwife was like, oh, I'm not going to do that for you. And I said, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Why can't I do this myself? Yeah. Did she have a, a doula that she partnered with or a midwifery assistant or did you hire a doula? Um, yeah, I didn't hire a doula. I felt confident that my husband could support me again, but she had a midwife that she worked with and they kind of would partner as like the assistant for each other's births. So her assistant, the other midwife came also at 36 weeks to my home to meet me. So I got to meet them both in my home and that just felt really nice to see them both there and know like, oh, you'll be back when I have my baby, like in this same space. It felt really cool. Yeah, it is really amazing to have that like connection and to share your energy with someone that's how a lot of the home birth is here. Now, I, I do do a plenty of home births, but I will say way more hospital births as a doula because a lot of the home birth midwives have these beautiful assistants that can often serve both roles. They can do a little doula-ing and a yeah. little midwifery assisting at the same time, which is pretty cool. cool. How did you yeah. know that you were in labor this time and what gestation were you? So my third was my latest. She was 40. So I guess my first was 40 and three. She was 40 and four. So okay. my latest by a day. Okay. And I thought in my silly brain that she would be earlier because my second was earlier than my first. And I thought that that pattern would continue, or at least she'd be born, you know, around the same time. I mentioned my sister came up from New York City to kind of be my birth photographer because I really wanted photos to capture this. And so she flew up at 39 weeks and her plan was to stay for a week until my due date. And I assumed I'll have my baby sometime in this week. But the week went and I didn't have my baby. And so my sister was able to like postpone her flight, take a few more days off work. And I'm waiting and waiting and waiting. And she finally says, I have to go back to work. I can't stay here forever. So I called my midwife and I took castor oil on okay. the night of 40 and three. <laughs> okay. It said I was having a lot of pressure, like cervical pressure. We were trying to, you know, walk. I was trying to rest. Um, and every night I would have some kind of prodromal labor going to bed I'd lay down I'd have contractions for a few hours and then they would just kind of fizzle out and I'd go to sleep and I'd wake up in the morning really pissed that nothing had started oh welcome um, to third babies yep yeah so I took castor oil and my midwife said we're just gonna come because sometimes third babies if you take castor oil it makes them come really fast so I lived about an hour from where she lived and she's like we're just gonna come your way and check in so they get here and nothing was happening. And so I'm frustrated and she's like, let's all go to bed. It'll either start or it won't. And so around midnight contractions did start. Um, and I'm, you know, still their baby. I'm like, oh, I'm so exciting. Let me go check in with her. I'm like, things are happening. She's like, go to bed, Sarah. I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah, yep, I'm going to bed. <laughs> so I was able to lay and rest until maybe 5.30 that morning. And then things started to get so intense. I was like, I need to get up. Like, I need to move. I need to find some way to better get some relief. And things were pretty intense from about 5.30 to 7.30. It was really interesting. I like contractions almost stopped from 7.30 to 8.30. It was like an hour of rest. I 
totally passed out on the couch. And then after that, they picked right back up again. This labor was interesting. It never felt like my second labor felt really intense and overwhelming kind of the whole time. The contractions were really strong. This one, they were strong, but I never felt like really overwhelmed by them. I don't know if it was just mentally I was better prepared and like really ready to handle that, but I never timed them. Nobody, at least I don't think anybody ever timed them. My midwife was probably like kind of keeping an eye on the clock sometimes, but like I never looked at the time. I never looked at any of that I just kind of was like I'm definitely in labor and going with the flow when I wanted to get in the tub my husband filled up a little birth tub we had and I labored in there for a while the water felt really relieving um I labored a lot on the toilet because of the castor oil I was still kind of pooping a lot (laughs) and so I labored some on the toilet in the tub on the toilet I leaned over like our counter we went for a little walk it was like a beautiful November day in the sun we went for a little walk on our road and things just were happening and we just kind of let it happen. So it was progressing a little bit slower. Gen- yeah. Gentler, maybe even? A little gentler. <laughs> yeah. A little slower, a little gentler. Things were definitely happening. I never was like, oh, it's not happening. It just was slower and more manageable. And I felt really calm about it all. It was just kind of exciting and calm. Did your midwife um, yeah. stay the whole time or did they kind of check on you, leave, check and come? You know what I mean? How did, what did that look like? Yeah. They did stay, her and the assistant, or like this backup midwife were both here. And so they slept. My older two kids were with my parents again. We had said like, we're going to do this. Will you take those? Like, will you take our older kids? I thought about having them at the birth, but I knew one, I swear a lot in labor from my previous experiences. I have a potty mouth when I'm in labor and I didn't want that around them. And I also felt like I would be not able to get into my like labor land brain if I was like oh are they hungry oh they need snack like oh it's rest time like I didn't want to have to do mom duties and have a baby I wanted to be able to just focus on like labor and birth okay this has nothing to do with anything but I'm just super curious because you were in Michigan and your parents lived there and now you're in Vermont did they move with you or did you Um, did they come to help you (laughs) Yeah. So they came to help me. Um, We have, my grandparents have a house like across Lake Champlain from us. And so they were a couple hours away and they came and stayed for a few weeks. And when I was like, oh, it's getting close to labor. They took the kids over there and they kept them there until I had a baby. And I said, okay, bring them back now. (laughs) Okay. I was like, sometimes I just have to have the logistics in my head to like understand. I was like, wait, where in the world did your parents come from? Um, Yeah. Did Now you said you drank castor oil. My clients drink something called the midwife's brew. It's two tablespoons of castor oil, two tablespoons of almond butter, one cup of apricot nectar, and one cup of champagne, (laughs) okay? Um, There's lots of different recipes. That's just the recipe that we like to use around here. I like it. Because it's a little bit of castor oil, it's a little bit of relaxation, and it's a little bit of protein. And we find that there's kind of less dehydration and less vomiting and less, honestly, less diarrhea when you mix it with something. So did you just straight up like chug some castor oil or did you mix it in a milkshake? Like how did you take it? I mixed it with scrambled eggs and cheese. Uh, my oh my God. Like, oh, yeah, that's so gross. Uh, <laughs> my sister actually cooked it up for me in a pan and it, it was, was kind fine? of just like, yeah, it wasn't bad. It was like greasy eggs. Okay. Like, it was kind of just like greasy eggs. It really wasn't bad. And it had the protein aspect because my midwife had said like, yeah, protein would be good to bind it with yes I had it with talenti gelato 
Oh my God. It was like my favorite ice cream prior to this. And I've never eaten it since I'll never, I can't even, I can't even look at Talenti when I, when I, when I, now Talenti will never sponsor this podcast because I I can't even look at it when I go over. I'm like, oh my gosh. So things to note, if you are VBAC, castor oil is contraindicated. Don't even think about it, you guys, or talk to your (laughs) medical provider. If you are not full term, having significant symptoms of prodromal labor, do not even think about castor oil. You're just going to dehydrate yourself, make your uterus contract, but it's not labor because muscles contract when they're dehydrated, vomit, and have diarrhea. Castor oil is an induction method and is induction method to be used appropriately like Sarah did. She is 40 and 3. She's having significant prodromal labor symptoms. She has a healthy pregnancy. She is not a VBAC. She doesn't have any uterine scars from other surgeries. And castor oil, uh, with the advice of her medical team, her midwife, was a safe alternative. And it works. (laughs) It works. When it works, it will work. So you're out. Your midwives are there. You've done a little tub time. You're out walking. It's kind of going slower. But how what how did it progress? How did it progress and end? Yeah, I um like I wasn't having any vaginal exams, which is something I really wanted. I just kind of wanted to go with the flow. Like I I trusted that I would know when it was time to push. And so I was in the tub and I knew, I felt like I was fully dilated. I had like reached a finger kind of into my vagina. And I was like, oh yeah, my baby's head is right there. Like she's right there. But it was so intense then that I was like, I can't push right now. It's just, I didn't. And my midwives were still like sitting back at our table, like at the kitchen table, like they weren't right there crowding me. Like I felt really like I had just kind of been given space and they knew that they would step in when they were really like needed. Um, But it was so intense and I didn't feel like I could push through that intensity and so I said I said I think I'm going to have the baby on the toilet because that's just where I felt like I'd be able to really relax and let go and my midwife's like lots of babies are born in the bathroom it's really okay and so they put some trucks pads on the bathroom floor and I went and I sat on the toilet and I had a couple contractions on the toilet and I was like instantly like she's coming and it was like full fetal ejection reflex she shot right out of me um like I knelt down on the floor right in front of the toilet in our tiny little children's bathroom and my husband sat behind me and out she flew and it please was tell amazing. me your sister I, like, was taking really, I, pictures yeah okay yes, I got pictures <laughs> yes. yeah it was fast and I think I just really listened like I feel like I just listened to my body I kind of trusted that she would come when she was ready. I think I could have pushed her out sooner if I wanted to. I just, at the time, I didn't feel like I could. And so I just kind of waited for my body to eject her for me. Yeah. I think it's never a bad idea waiting for the fetal ejection reflex. That's when your body truly knows it's time and it does it without your permission. Yeah. It was amazing. And like such a crazy feeling to like, I couldn't have stopped it if I wanted to. It was like, she's coming and there she is. I love it. I wish I could have been there to see it. Yeah, it was awesome. One of the reasons I love doing this podcast is because I like literally love hearing birth stories. Like I'm like, oh, this is a good one. I wish I was there. I wish I was your doula. I was like, this would have been amazing. (laughs) So tell me about, so there you are kneeling on the bathroom floor 
And, you know, how does it go like with a home birth, right? Like, are they, did you stay attached to the placenta for, did you deliver Mm -hmm. the placenta with still attached to the baby? Yep. Still attached. Um, We hung out in the bathroom for a while. I did have some bleeding and the midwives suggested a shot of Pitocin. And so I accepted that. Um, But that was fine. Hung out in the bathroom for a little bit, just kind of bonding. She was crying like right away, super loud. I was ready to kind of get more comfortable and feed her. So they helped me move to our bed and we laid in bed together and cuddled up and I was able to breastfeed her. And it was just really nice to be home in my space, surrounded by people who I really like loved and was happy to be with, like was happy to have with me. Listen, I'm jealous. I had two. They were both in the hospital. And if I had to do it again, I mean, I just the hearing these beautiful home birth stories. I'm like, why did I not do that? (laughs) You know? Yeah. I think it's so amazing. And I think it's important to know that I like, yeah, look, she had a little bit of extra bleeding and the midwives carry Pitocin in her state. I'm not going to say that yeah. for all states, but in your state, your midwives yeah. carry Pitocin to keep you safe and to help the uterus to clamp down. And also the breastfeeding immediately after helps that uterus to contract and to clamp down. How long was this labor? So the second was it four was and a maybe- half. 13 hours like from midnight till she was born kind of afternoon the next day so longer than my second not as long as my first that's like my statistics that I was telling you interesting that's so cool I'm so glad I mentioned that then we always say they're the wild cards they still don't usually take as long as the first but you know yeah oh my gosh how exciting okay now the placenta now is at home So this time, did you do anything with it? Yeah. So I had my midwives put it in the freezer. I wanted to prioritize my rest and all of that. So I said, put it in the freezer. I thought I'd plant it under a tree or something in the spring because this was November. So I was like, oh, like I'll stick it in the freezer. I'll pull it out next year and like plant it. I did want to make prints of it. So it was, but I prioritized my rest. So I defrosted it when my baby was maybe like four months old and I did some prints with it just some like I got some printing ink and I have a print that I hang up that hangs in our bedroom now um and then I put it back in the freezer and it's still in my freezer almost two years later <laughs> you know what and at any point you can plant it exactly so. <laughs> yeah I just can't get rid of it I don't know it's, <laughs> it's just in the back of the freezer you trust me you are not the only one yeah. by a long shot I'm you sure the, yeah you are not the only one I finally had to get rid of my placenta tincture because I just like kept filling it up. And I was like, I'm just getting, you know, you're going to have it through menopause. And then I, and then I finally was like, listen, it's time. (laughs) It's, it got us through a lot of illnesses. It got me through a lot of bad moods, (laughs) but eventually it was like, well, I don't know if this is going to be my menopause thing. (laughs) The closer I get to menopause. Um, I love all your birth stories. It's amazing. And then you specifically said, Sarah, that the mystery and the magic of birth is what led you to write your book, Birth Happens, which we can find at birthsmiles.com. Just share a little bit about your book and the work that you did with this book. Yeah, um, I think I wanted a way to provide education and inspiration for birthing people all over. And like we've talked about, it's not accessible for everybody to pay for even a childbirth education class. 
So I think the easiest way to educate people is by sharing stories because it's so different every time. And if people can read different stories and hear how different birth and labor is for everybody, it's a really great way to kind of prepare your mind that it's going to be its own unique experience and kind of prepare to accept however it happens. Um, So that was kind of my inspiration was providing education, accessible education and inspiration for people um, just by sharing stories and kind of just like your podcast, you share birth stories and that's inspiring for people and makes people excited about their own birth. And that's kind of what I wanted to do with the book. Yeah. So how long did it take you to write it? Where did you collect these stories? Yeah, it took about a year from when I decided I wanted to start it. I had the idea when my daughter was maybe two months old and she, we were like cuddling up late at night one night. And I'm like, why don't I like, we need to share stories. I said, I just had this powerful birth. I want to hear about other powerful births. I want people to know that birth can be like beautiful and magical and mysterious and different. And so I connected with people via social media, mostly Instagram and Facebook. People kind of heard about my project and would reach out. I originally started and wanted to collect 365 birth stories from like every day of the year Okay. and quickly realized that that book would be like 10,000 pages long and not something that would be accessible for people. So I had to cut back. But I did kind of follow a pattern of I had all birth stories from the year 2021, which is the year that my daughter was born, my last. And it was an interesting time because it was still pandemic times, but kind of post the biggest part of the pandemic. Yeah. And so that's kind of an interesting aspect of some people's stories. And so the stories are chronological from January through December, and they're all different kinds of stories. It was so fun to connect with all of these different people from all over the world and hear how their birth went, what their care was like. I asked, you know, to have details about like how their postpartum was and just like, they were all so different. There are stories of loss. There are stories of joy. There are stories of plans that had to change because of unexpected circumstances and that's birth and that's real birth. And I think um, hopefully people can read those and just kind of be inspired that, they can have a positive birth and they also can have a birth that maybe doesn't go to plan, but it's all beautiful and it's all just part of, yeah, part of the mystery of it. Yeah. So can you only purchase it at birthsmiles.com? So it's on Amazon is really like where you purchase it through is Amazon. Amazon. I sell it to people locally in Vermont, just copies, but I mostly sell via through Amazon. Okay. Does, and Amazon does print on demand for you? Yes. Yeah, okay. exactly. Awesome. Yep. I was like, that's the easiest way to do it. Yep. So you guys can, and you're, I keep saying birth smiles cause that's your website, but the book, yeah. the name of the book is birth happens. Okay. So yep. you guys can look up Sarah and your last name is pronounced Beauchamp, right? Yep. So B-E-A-U-C-H-A-M-P, Sarah Beauchamp. And you can look up Birth Happens on Amazon. We'll link to it in the show notes also. You can find it at Birth Smiles and you can connect with Sarah on Instagram at Birth Smiles also. And so grab a copy of this book and get inspired with positive birth stories of all kinds from all around the world and how cool that they were all in 2021. So yeah. um, Sarah, you're such an inspiration to birth work and everything that you're doing in birth world to share positive birth stories, to help change outcomes, to really inspire people to do things a different way, right? Than yeah. like this, I call it like a cattle call than just like going to the hospital and being in a cattle call and just, you know, just doing all the things that they just tell you to do without using your thinking brain, 
right? So uh, we learned a lot from you today, including the importance of childbirth education courses. And I'm really appreciative of you and that we connected. Thanks for being on the Birth Story podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun to chat. Thank you for listening to Birth Story. My goal is you will walk away from each episode with a clear picture of how labor and delivery might go and that you will feel empowered by the end of your pregnancy to speak up, plan and prepare for the birth you want, no matter what that looks like.